Howdy and welcome to the Tillamook Bible Study. This is week nine, day three of our study of Galatians and Colossians. I'm your host, Darren Hibbs, and today we're talking about Colossians 3, 12 through 14. Well, welcome back to the Tillamook Bible Study. Again, I'm your host, Darren Hibbs. Would you join me as we pray before we start today? Lord, would you open our eyes and our ears to hear what your word has to say to us, God. Speak to us and fill our hearts with the knowledge of you. We want to encounter you. We want to know you through your word today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. With that, let's jump into God's word. I'll be reading today from the NIV. This is Colossians 3, starting at verse 12. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Let's pause right there. So in the first part of our passage here in Colossians 3, Paul has said, because we are in Jesus, we should be heavenly minded, not earthly minded. And as such, we need to put away all of these earthly things. And he goes on and he gives us a couple of different lists of things that we've got to like put away. And now he tells us this is what we should actually fill ourselves with because we right now, he's not saying because we are God's chosen people. He's, he's using this term more broadly, right? We understand that Israel is God's chosen people, but now he's saying that believers in Jesus are God's chosen people. And I want to be very, very clear. Paul deals with this in Galatians. He deals with this in other places, Romans, uh, most likely in Romans, um, or I mean in, in Romans. Yes. Um, and, uh, the, the issue that I'm speaking of is that Israel has not been replaced by the church. Right, Paul is not espousing replacement theology here. He is using this term, God's chosen people, broadly to mean anyone that believes in Jesus. But he's not saying this, meaning that, that Israel has been replaced as God's chosen people by the church. He's not saying that at all. People have taken this passage and others like it to mean that. Paul is uh, eminently clear throughout all of his epistles, that that is not the case, uh, especially in Romans. I mean, he makes it very, very clear in Romans that listen, Gentiles, just because, you know, the, the, the Israel was the olive tree, the branch was cut off so that you could be grafted on. He's like, we can like ungraft you and graft on the original branch, just the same as you're grafted on. So it's like, don't, don't be conceited, right? Don't think that, you are replacing Israel. You are just being grafted into Israel. That is our place here. So Paul's not saying that the church has replaced Israel in the promises of God, that we are now, that the church are the chosen people and Israel is not. That's not what he's saying. He's just like kind of broadly saying this. We, all of those that believe in Jesus, we are Jew or Gentile. We are God's chosen holy people. So with that, he says, clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, right? Uh, these don't need a lot of explanation. I mean, we understand compassion when someone uh, does something wrong to us and we have compassion for them when they do something wrong to someone else or when we see them stumble and fall, we have compassion for them. We treat them kindly, right? We, we, we walk in humility, understanding, right? This is a huge thing, understanding that we ourselves are just as susceptible to fall into sin as anyone else. So we don't walk in some kind of piety and people have done this throughout history. And it's, 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 it's bonkers given what, what uh, our, our true state is, is we don't walk in some kind of lorded over them piety. Uh, we, we walk in humility because we understand that 
the people that we want to see saved, we are just as susceptible to sin as anyone else. And the only thing that that has given us new life and, and regeneration in our heart is Jesus, right? So we walk in, in humility. Um, gentleness and patience, right? These things are, are kind of hard in our modern context. The compassion, kindness, humility, those things are actually still valued by our modern society, our modern context, at least in the United States, different different countries are different with these kinds of things. At least in the United States where I'm coming from, compassion, kindness, humility, they are still things that are somewhat valued. Gentleness and patience, they are not. Gentleness is is not a valued thing. Just look at the news, look at look at everything. No one is gentle with anybody. Um, that is one way if if Christians were walked in gentleness and patience, we would greatly stand out. We'd be like a big sore thumb, you know, on a hand, like you you can't miss it. Um, We practice walking in gentleness and patience. We are going to stick out amongst our modern context. Verse 13, bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Right? So the, the, the last half of this here, Paul is saying, people are going to wrong you. And when they wrong, you forgive them. Right? And if they've wronged someone else, forgive them. Right? Don't carry like a secondhand grievance. Right? They, that person did wrong to my sister and now I hate them. Right? They didn't, they didn't wrong you directly. They wronged someone that you love. Um, forgive in both situations. Don't carry grudges. Don't carry that with you. Forgive them and move on. And the important thing is, is you forgive them even if they're not worthy of it, even if they're not deserving of it, even if they haven't asked for it. Because carrying the grudge doesn't harm them, it harms you. The anger, the rage, the malice, it doesn't hurt you. It hurt. It doesn't hurt them, it hurts you. So forgive them. Now, Again, uh, people have, have, I think most people in modern uh, Western cultures understand this to some extent, but people will use things like this to try and lord uh, power dynamics over one another, which is silly. Let's put it like that. Um, <clears throat> forgiveness is not the same as, as trust. Forgiveness is not the same as uh, walking back into abusive situations or things like that, right? We can forgive, but forgiveness, right? You got a, a situation where a husband is beating a wife, right? If the wife carries the anger and rage and hatred over that, which would be normal, right? You would expect that to some extent. You expect someone that's being abused to be very angry and even have hatred toward that person. Um, That anger and that hatred is not going to hurt that other person. It hurts you. So we forgive that person for what they've done in large part for our own sake. But that doesn't mean that that woman should stay there. Goodness gracious, no. 
Get away from that abusive relationship. Don't let that man continue to do that. Because, I mean, in reality, you you forgive and you go right back into that relationship and that abuse continues to happen. You're just opening yourself up to more anger and hatred and bitterness, right? You've got to remove yourself from that situation. So, So forgiveness and trust, they are two very different things. And again, I think that's very clear in, in most cases for most people very well understand that it's when you're in the midst in the fog of these kinds of relationships that can get very difficult to see and perceive and understand. And people can use those kinds of things. You're supposed to forgive me like Christ forgave you. And if you don't forgive, then Jesus won't forgive you. All of these kinds of things that people will use to control people. Blah, throw that out, get rid of that. Forgiveness is not the same as trust. It just isn't. Now, does that mean that be like in, in all cases that, well, we've forgiven you, but I'll never trust you again. No, no, that's not what we're saying either. I mean, we're, we need to understand the difference between someone who has wronged you. We trust them or we forgive them and we, we, we trust them again. And, and when we're choosing things, there's, there's different levels of uh, being sinned against, right? If someone has stolen all of your life savings, you can forgive them, right? Um, but are you ever going to trust them again to handle your finances? No, no, that's absurd. But if your son has, you know, snuck in and stolen a dollar out of your wallet, um, you find out and the, and the son confesses and he's brokenhearted about it and truly repentant, right? You forgive your son are you never ever going to trust your son with money or your wallet? Again, no, of course you are. You're going to you're going to grant trust. So you, you, we understand instinctively the the different situations and things like that. I've seen many times where people try. Um, I think in in, in Christianity, um, we write books, we make money by complicating uncomplicated situations, and by taking complicated situations and trying to make them easy. Right. I, I don't think that's helpful. Um, I mean, there's people who's like, well, you know, everything is, is easy to understand. Nothing is really all that complicated in God. No, there are complicated situations. There are, I mean, complicated things in life. It's okay to call them complicated. And the easy things, we don't have to overcomplicate them. We instinctively understand that the person that steals a million dollars from you is very different from the situation your son stealing a dollar out of your wallet and not telling you. Very different situations, right? And so we use our 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 wisdom, our understanding, all of those kinds of things to 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 walk through those different situations. It's not like the Bible says forgive, and so we forgive and trust and not. No, and and this may not make sense to everyone listening, watching right now, but I guarantee it's making sense to a bunch of people who have been in situations and relationships where people have used these kind of like biblical sounding things to try and confuse and, and lord things over you. It happens far too often. And so again, we forgive, but we don't like throw discernment out the window. We use our discernment to judge each situation differently on how do we respond. But the most important thing is that we forgive because we understand that we have to forgive because we've been forgiven. That's this humility that we're called to walk in is that we know, we know that we don't deserve the salvation we've been given. 
We know that our sins have been forgiven and washed away. So we have to forgive in the same way. We have to. And that's in all situations. That's in the worst cases of abuse. Everything we have to forgive. But how we walk relationships out with those people that we've forgiven, that is completely dependent on that relationship, the the sin, the level of, of trust that's been brought. All of those things come into a factor. How we mend those relationships, continue those relationships, cut off those relationships, that is all dependent on the situation, not on whether or not we forgive. It is super, super important to understand that. And that is one of those places I've seen many people through the years try and oversimplify something that's actually very difficult to walk out and something that's very complicated. When you find yourself in those situations, especially when the the offense is great, there is no easy answer. It's a very difficult and a very complicated thing. And every single one of you listening to my voice right now have been through those things. If you've got enough years on, on, uh, on your forehead here, you get enough wrinkles up here, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Walking those things out, they're not simple. And we don't need to pretend like they are. And it's okay for some things to be complicated. It's okay for things to be difficult. It's okay for us to acknowledge that things are challenging. And we walk them out. We ask the Lord for grace and we walk through them. And he gives us grace to walk through them. He gives us grace to handle the challenging parts of life. Paul finishes by saying, above everything else, over all these virtues, put on love. It binds everything together in perfect unity. Right? If we fill our heart with true godly love, all of these things make sense. They all make sense. And that's the challenging thing nowadays. That's really the challenging thing because our society is in such confusion about even basic things like what is love? What is love? Even the church is in confusion over what love is. And again, it's one of those things that goes back to trying to make difficult things easy. Easy things difficult. So we can sell books and we can do seminars and things like that. The church has spent at least from my perspective, maybe your perspective is a little bit different, but I feel like the church has spent decades and books and all sorts of stuff trying to say love is a decision, right? Love is a, 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 a covenant that we make, right? When we get married, we say, I vow to love you. And, and what very often any emotion gets taken out of that. And it's like, I, I vow in my marriage to not leave the house, to not move out. And that defines love. <clears throat> or that I'm going to stick with it with you. Even if I hate your guts, we're going to stick this out and stay married legally. Like we won't get a divorce. And that's what we call love. 
<clears throat> and that really cheapens this idea. It really does. Because what Paul is asking us to do here is actually, it's very simple in concept and it's very, very hard to do. Love. In every culture, every context, every language, love is not a contract. Love is not a covenant. It is an emotion. Right? Trying to define love. It's one of those great one of those one of those great uh, difficulties in life. Movies have made, been made about it. You know, how do you know if you're in love? I don't know. You just do, right? It's an emotion. It's something you feel. It's not something you can just manufacture. It's not something that you can say, well, I have chosen to love you, right? It doesn't work like that. So Paul is saying, put on love. Fill yourself with this emotion of love that binds all of these things together. It's this, this great intangible. Love is this great intangible. We can't touch it. We can't taste it. We can't feel it, but we know it's there. We can choose to love, but we do that by choosing to do things that foster that emotion in us. And I will guarantee you that it's very hard to define this, but when you see somebody who can forgive people their wrongs and they're filled with joy and a smile, you know instinctively the people who have put on love. And you know instinctively the people who haven't. You know the people who carry that emotion inside of them of love and you know the people who haven't. We see it and we know it. It's not difficult to see. It's difficult to do. It's not difficult to say as long as we don't redefine this into something that it's not. Paul is asking us very simply to do something very hard. And that is to fill ourselves with the emotion of love for the people that are around us. And that's tough. But it will absolutely transform us. So I pray that the Lord gives us grace to truly put on love that would bind all of these things together in unity in our lives. For the 10-Week Bible Study, I'm your host, Aaron Hibbs, and I can't wait to see you next time. Hey, thanks for tuning into the 10-Week Bible Study Podcast. If you've enjoyed this podcast, would you consider leaving a review for it on your podcast app of choice? It really helps other people find out about this podcast, and my heart is for people to fall in love with God's Word. Thank you.